Well, good morning. Good morning. Can y'all hear me okay? I've been having some trouble with my mic this morning, so. Um, well, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Trevor. I'm the next-gen pastor here at Redwood Christian. Love to have you with us this morning. I just spent the last few days up at Boise Bible College at Preview, their high school event, with 10, of, 10 students, so that was uh, a whole lot of fun. Spent a lot of time worshiping the Lord and pouring into students and playing probably an abnormal amount of bananagrams, um, and no sleep, um, no sleep uh, at all. And that's kind of been a little bit of a, a motif over the course of my life, is this lack of sleep. Uh, for a while in college, I had a bout with insomnia, where I just could never sleep ever, or I slept during the day. It was kind of backwards and forwards, depending on, um, depending on the day or semester. Uh, but probably, probably the one that I had the most struggle with was when I was a kid. It kind of plagued me during my um, probably preteen and teenager years, I'd say the most, as I'd wake up in the middle of the night, probably about one or two in the morning, just ravenously hungry. Like I'd wake up and I have the whale song like going on in my tummy. I'm like, I'm like, well, I guess I got to go to the kitchen because there's no way that I'm going to get back to sleep without shoving something in my gut. So I got to go, I got to go get some food. And the biggest problem always was that um, it was dark. I couldn't see anything. I didn't have any lights coming through the window to, uh, to guide my way, and I didn't have the wherewithal to just turn the light switch on because I didn't want the possibility of anybody waking up to happen. So uh, naturally, I'd run into like everything. Uh, I ran into some pretty painful door frames, some chairs, walls, you name it, I ran into it. And it even happened once I got into my adult years as well is gosh, I want to say it's the summer after my freshman year of college. I, was, I woke up, and I was hungry, and I was ma- made my way down the hall. I'm just kind of inching, like, all right, where am I going here? And I finally, I got my hand on the refrigerator. I'm like, yes, I am home free. And then I proceeded to kick over a bunch of empty soda cans that were, like, right next to it. Just, like, huge clatter, and it caused quite the ruckus at 2 in the morning. Thankfully, I didn't wake anybody up, because that would have had some pretty grumpy people in my household the next day, but... Uh, fact of the matter is, is that it's really hard to uh, get where you're going when you can't see anything and you're surrounded by darkness. And I'm sure some of you have dealt with this, um, at least in some capacity at some point in your life. Maybe you were like me and you got up in the middle of the night and you were trying to, trying to get some food. Or maybe you went camping out in the middle of a deep, dark forest or you got blindfolded at a birthday party. Uh, whatever the case, there's a lot of possibilities. Is that it's really hard to get where you're going or see what's going to come next when you're surrounded by darkness. And as part of this series, we're talking about the I am statements of Jesus. Last week, Kurt kicked us off by talking about when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and how people need bread to survive. And um, this signified people needing not only a bread for their tummy, but also the bread for their soul. They needed that spiritual sustenance, and that's what Jesus was for them. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about when Jesus tells Um, these people that he's talking to. He says, I am the light of the world. So we'll dive into the text here. It's John chapter 8, verse 12. It's one little short verse, so if you don't get there by the time I read, don't be be upset here. Um, All right, picking it up here. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Short and sweet. 
This takes place, Jesus talking here, it takes place after what was called the Feast of Booths, or a couple other names. One was the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Tents. And if you don't know what that was, it was one of three uh, giant feasts that the Israelite people would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And this one in particular was to celebrate when they were in the wilderness. It was the 40 years where they were living in tents. And Um, kind of in their wandering from the Lord. And this being the case, there's a lot of people in the city at the time. Um, They're packed out, and Jesus has been speaking to them in the previous chapter, and he takes a little bit of a break to eat, and then he comes back, and he starts talking to a bunch of Jewish people here, which included the Pharisees. So, scary. Um, But here's where we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the text, because that's sort of what Jesus does here. And while I was going through this in my study, I noticed that there are three different facets to this verse, and I'm just going to call them the hook, the line, and the sinker, so you can follow along with that if you like. The first one, of course, being the hook where he says, I am the light of the world, and this really, he says these words, and it immediately gets the crowd thinking, like they're immediately, they have their attention focused on him, and I personally am, I'm not much of a fisherman myself, unfortunately. My fiance, Edie, she's like, I grew up fishing. I'll teach you. And I was like, sweet. That's good to know. Um, Thank you for this. I'm excited. Um, But growing up, I didn't have that experience. So from what I know of fishing, which is not much, um, sometimes you got to coax the fish a little bit. You got to lead him to where you want him to go and hopefully get a bite. In my case, it only worked like one time, um, but that doesn't matter right now. (laughs) When Jesus says these words, when he presents this to these people, they're hooked right away. He has their attention. You might have seen some of them lean forward in their seats a little bit to, to pay more close attention, or, or maybe, they, maybe they woke up from a nap, or maybe they, um, I don't know if Jesus would have people napping while he was talking. That's an interesting question. I gotta think about that. Um, or maybe, maybe they just, just sat up in their seats or, or leaned closer to hear him better. Whatever the case, he has their attention. And we got to remember, he is talking to a lot of of Jewish people here. In the Old Testament, light was always portrayed as something good. Um, Psalm 43, it talks about God's light leading us. He says, um, send out your lights and your truth. Let it lead me. That's what the psalmist says there. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, it says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It was something to represent God's goodness, God's direction. And why does Jesus use this analogy? There are a couple theories that arise that I found um, in my study of this, and the first of those kind of deals with parallels. Kurt sort of talked a little bit last week about how um, throughout the book of John and these I am statements, usually um, Jesus says these things right before or right after something big happens. So last week we learned he says, I am the bread of life, like right after he feeds the 5,000. Later on in the book of John, Right before he raises Lazarus, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This week, we see him saying, I am the light of the world. And then in the next chapter, he heals a blind man. This man had been born into darkness. It was, it was all he knew. But when he was healed by the power of Jesus, he was able to see this light that the rest of us get to see. That's the first theory. Second and more probable one is going back to this feast of booths or tents idea. And during the feast, there was one night where um, they got these four big candles. They call it the, the illumination of the temple. And they'd go out into the temple courts and they'd place these big candles and just light them up. And you could see the, these, this light from all over the city. 
Um, I'm not entirely sure what the significance of it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, they kept these going the entire night till the next morning until the rooster crowed. But what does that have to do with Jesus, you might ask? Uh, Considering that this was during or right after this feast, Jesus is probably being what any good speaker is doing um, and using language to relate to his audience. He's seeing who he's talking to, and he's like, all right, I'm going to meet you where you're at and tell you how I do things. So that's kind of our first facet, the hook, where he draws his audience in here. Now we get to the line. And this is where Jesus, he starts to draw his audience in a little more. He's, he's reeling them in with this conditional statement, kind of a challenge here. He tells them that whoever follows him won't have to walk in darkness. But instead of literal darkness, he's talking about a darkness that is much, much worse. Sin. It's walking around and embracing these ideals that the world says is okay for us to do, whether it's, hey, it's okay to do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy. It's okay to be divided by political party lines or ethnic lines or socioeconomic lines. It's okay to abuse food or drink or fill in the blank. What his audience is telling, well, he's telling his audience, excuse me, is that by following him, they don't have to live in that or they don't have to live in the bondage of those things anymore. They don't have to live in their sin anymore and that darkness, that sin, would flee from them when they decided to follow Jesus. Just like when we turn a light on in a room, the darkness flees. And that's what it is for us as well. We're no longer tied to these things. And even more than this, we receive this continued light and direction of Jesus as we go through life. My uh, dear mother, um, I call her Miss April. You all will meet her in a few weeks when she comes down to visit. But um, she's always said to me, I can't imagine going through hardship without the Lord by my side. And that is the help that we receive from him when we would decide to follow him. Freedom from sin and the direction of the Lord. So we've had this hook where Jesus, he engages his audience. He says, I'm the light of the world, and it has him hooked. And then we've had the line where he draws them in a little bit more by challenging them to follow him. And now we come to the sinker, which I think is the best part of the verse. It's, it's the thing that wins the audience over. It's kind of the finale here. Jesus gives his audience that hope, that reward. We've already kind of said that um, it means they don't have to walk in the darkness of their sin anymore, and they, they don't have to be separated from God for eternity. They get this reward of walking with Jesus while they're here on earth, and then a glorious eternity with him as well. No darkness, no shame, no weeping, or anything of that nature, only Jesus. And here's the deal. This, this doesn't just apply to a bunch of old Jewish people back in the day. It applies to us as well. We've heard about this parallel of the text with the man being born blind, and just like that man, we were born into darkness as well. We are born into this world with a sinful nature. We've spent our whole lives just kind of feeling around in the darkness, trying to find our way, trying to find something to help us because we didn't know anything different. Romans 3, 23, some of you or many of you might even know this, says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, everyone, blanket statement, has sin. Because of that, we can't have a relationship with God. We don't deserve it. 
Romans 6, Paul goes on as he continues to tell this Roman church what they do deserve. He says, for the wages of sin is death. By all rights, we should die. There's no way that we can escape our sin or get rid of it on our own. We, there's no way that we can atone for it. We've sinned so much and there isn't a solution on our part. Sure, in the, the Old Testament days, you could offer a sacrifice to make up for it, or once a year, the high priest would offer kind of an overarching sacrifice for everybody, but that was only meant to be temporary. God had a different plan, and that is where Jesus comes in. Because of Jesus, we don't have to die anymore. Because of Jesus, we don't have to walk in the darkness of our sin anymore. Because of Jesus, we don't have to be separated from him for eternity. He could have wiped us all out and started over from scratch, but he didn't. Why? Because he loves us. Because of his love for us, he didn't wipe us out. Because of his love for us, he let them beat him, make fun of him, spit on him, torture him. Because of his love for us, he let them nail him to a cross. For me, this guy right here, the pathetic, wretched sinner that I am, he thought I was worth dying for. The more I think about it, the more it doesn't make sense that he thought picking me to be a part of his family was worth it. He loves me and the rest of us that much. Because of this love, we, we no longer have to grope through the darkness of our sin. We, can, we no longer have to search for something that can help us see in the darkness. We no longer have this blindfold of sin covering up the light of Jesus. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives and everything? I, there's a particular verse I come back to every time I think about growth um, in regards to any context. It's Luke 9:23, and God's, he's picked us to be a part of his family. He has outstretched his hand to us in reconciliation for us to follow him. And Luke 9:23 it gives us the solution for what we must do here. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's how we do it. We set aside our sin and we follow Jesus. And there are a couple ways that we can do that according to this verse. The first being to deny yourself. Well, what does that mean? It means that we set aside our own wants and our own desires, and we put Jesus first in what he wants in our life. John chapter 3, verse 30, it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. You're relenting the control of your life to him. You're, you're giving him the reins to direct you where he wants you to go. Not where you want to go, and not where you want him to want you to go, but where he wants you to go. Part of this means taking up your cross, and that is taking on the most extreme form of self-denial, where you go, where God is calling you to, and you serve him faithfully no matter what. You might be subjecting yourself to the, the worst of the worst. You might deal with all kinds of, of rejection and ridicule, but he's the light of the world, and he's going to guide you. He, he'll be there with you the, the entire way because 
Jesus wouldn't ask you to deny yourself if he wasn't willing to do the same thing. And in fact, he did. We see this example of him doing so quite literally. First in the, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and then with the cross, he says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And that is what our attitude should be towards him as well. The second way that we can, um, we can do this is to pursue Christ. First being to deny ourselves, the second to pursue Christ. And that means doing everything in your power to get to Jesus. It means you are in the word. You are meditating on it, reading it, chewing on it, figuring out what it says. It means you are in daily communication with your heavenly father. When I was in high school, my youth pastor, he challenged me with these words because I was like, I don't know. I just don't get to pray enough. He's like, okay, here's the thing. If you are not in daily communication with the creator of the universe, how do you expect to know him? And that's something I keep coming back to as well. Going on from there, it means taking proactive steps in your everyday lives to help, um, help yourself and make yourself more like Jesus. So if that means that you need to take a break from Facebook, take a break from Facebook. If that means that you need to take time to lead your family better, take that time and lead your family. If that means you need to stop looking at some websites on the internet that you know you shouldn't, then stop looking at those websites. I could go on. I'm pretty sure y'all get the picture. Uh, it's ridding yourselves of things that keep you from Jesus and putting things in place that make him more evident. Growing up, I, I got a good example of this um, in my dad. Uh, my dad is a mechanical designer for an engineering firm. Um, so super different than what I do. Um, and he's really, really smart. And he's worked in downtown Portland for several years. And my family used to live in Portland, so he had about a 10, 15-minute drive to get to work every day. And then we moved away for a while. We moved out of Oregon while he worked in another office. And when we came back, we lived about 45 minutes outside of Portland in a town called Warren, Warren, Oregon. And we lived there for a while, and then we moved to where my parents live now, which is Mosier. And most of you probably don't know where that is. Um, but it's about an hour and a half east of where my dad works one way. So as his life has gone on, my dad's commute to work has just gotten longer and longer and longer. And it makes you pretty tired. Um, However, whenever I'd walk into the kitchen every morning, I'd find his Bible either on the table in the kitchen or at least close by. Even though he could have slept in a little bit more or taken more time to just wake up and be functional, he got up to be with the Lord every day before he drove an hour and a half to get to work. He denied himself not only to pursue Christ, but to take care of his family. My parents have lived in Mosier for 11 years now, and my dad has driven to downtown Portland four to five days a week for that 11 years, not counting any work trips that he's gone on. He could have taken a different job, gone somewhere else where he was closer to home, but he chose to stay at this company, listening to the direction of the Lord and serving where God wanted him to serve. I'm very thankful for that example that he's given me. So we've had these two ways that we can, we can follow Jesus. First being to deny ourselves, and the second is to pursue Christ. And here's where it comes down to all of us. God's kind of laid his, his cards out on the table. He is the light of the world, and he is ready to guide you. Are you 
Are you going to choose to stumble around in the darkness not knowing where you're going? Are you going to choose to stay blinded by your sin, (laughs) trying to figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do? Or are you willing to make the choice to step out of your darkness and into his marvelous light? He's got me hook, line, and sinker. What about you? Let's pray. God, thank you for this family. Um, Thank you for these people that come here on Sunday mornings and that we get to sit and learn. God, thank you for the direction that we receive from you and the freedom from sin that you offer us, God. I pray that we would not take that lightly and that we would lean into you for the direction and redemption that you give, God. In your name, amen. Amen.